Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, we're continuing this series of sermons on the magnificent and strange and puzzling book of Revelation, this marvelous text from which the church reads all during the Easter season. It's been the second reading now for the past several weeks. It'll continue until week seven of Easter. And it's um, such a fascinating book. And coming as it does at the very end of the biblical revelation, it has an extraordinary significance. Because in reading this book, we're coming to the end of the entire biblical story. So that's true of any novel, isn't it? Any play, any work of fiction is, is you're going through it, but you come to the end and you see, ah, that's what it's all about. That's when all the strands are tied together, right? One way to judge a, a novel or a play is if it ends in a clunky way, like it doesn't resolve the, the issue. Now, some postmoderns love leaving everything kind of unresolved, but that's another question. But the, the Bible here is like a classical work of literature, that the end uh, brings it together. And notice something else. How often poets and novelists and short story writers will draw the beginning and the end of their works together. That's a, it's a good move because it, it gives the reader a sense of, of completion and uh, the, the completion of an arc. Oh yeah, what was there at the beginning uh, and, the, and the problems set up there, the anticipations there are now resolved at the end. So the end speaks to the beginning as the beginning calls out to the end, right? That's true of a lot of novels. Well, I think that's true in the Bible. The great arc of the biblical story that goes from Genesis to Revelation. And so as we look at this last book, we're meant to see that overarching purpose of the divine story. Okay, now let me give you an example of this. We recall the Bible commences with the account of creation. God bringing forth the world from the watery chaos. Tohu vabohu in that strangely wonderful and memorable Hebrew phrase. The tohu vabohu, the watery chaos. God brings forth from this order and beauty and harmony. We see the divine purpose, that all things come together in the worship of the true God, etc. Now, that good order of God lasted a comparatively short time, because very early on in the biblical telling, it was interrupted by sin. So the sin of Adam and Eve. And then read those opening chapters from 3 through 12 of Genesis. And you see all of these different expressions of sin. Beautifully, the story of Noah and the flood is meant to signal what? The return of the tohu vabohu, right? The flood. And, you know, we're, we're terrified, quite rightly, by floods. I experienced one here about a year and a half ago in, in Montecito, 10 minutes from my house. 
ancient peoples were terrified by the power of, of floodwaters. And so the, the flood in the Noah story is meant to signal a return of the tohu vabohu, the watery chaos from which God drew the order of the universe. What's the ark in this telling? It's very interesting now. Keep this in mind as we're going to get our way to Revelation. The ark is the first of God's great rescue operations. So God preserves a microcosm of his good order on the ark. The ark is succeeded by the formation of a people after his own mind and heart. Now we get to chapter 12 of Genesis, which is so pivotal. The call of Abram, right? And now the, the beginnings of Israel, the beginnings of this people who will wrestle with God. How beautiful that it's Ab- Abram becomes Abraham, then his, um, his grandson, Jacob, who wrestles with God and is named Israel, which means precisely that. And now the whole people, beautifully named from this engagement with God. Why is it a wrestling, by the way? Because we're off kilter. See, because of sin, our engagement with God will always be something like a wrestling match rather than simply a harmonious dance, if that makes sense, (laughs) right? Instead of just easily falling into harmony as Adam did before the fall, our engagement with God is more like a struggle Boy, does that sound familiar. Anyone that's lived through the spiritual life knows about that, right? Well, God forms a people, Israel, who are struggling with him to learn his mind and heart. How is Israel expressed? Now, in a whole series of rescue operations, like Torah, God's law, like prophecy, these great figures that call Israel to fidelity, like covenant, right? this great agreement that God makes, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. Maybe preeminently in the great temple of Jerusalem, God's dwelling place where the people come up to give right worship, God comes down in mercy and forgiveness. See, so all of that law, temple, prophecy, covenant, were expressions of Israel, the people that wrestle with God. They are the successors, if you want, of Noah and his family, which is the preservation of God's good order in the midst of chaos. Okay? Now, any objective reading of the Old Testament shows that things proceeded by stops and starts. So I've been naming the highlights. You know, isn't it great, all these things? But sure, the chaotic waters, nevertheless, return often threatening to overwhelm Israel. Think of their slavery in Egypt. Think of the opposition of Philistines, Assyrians, Babylonians, etc. Think of the exile to Babylon. Think of the conquest by Rome. All of it the prophets and the patriarchs and the great teachers of Israel read as expressions of Israel's sin. So there's the story of the Old Testament, is the struggle, if you want, between the tohu vabohu and God's... uh, Selvific purposes. Now we come to the climax of the biblical story. A definitive victory is won. How? How? Through the dying and rising of the Son of God. Where did Jesus go in his ministry culminating in the cross? He went all the way down to the bottom of the watery chaos and came up again. Now listen to me, everybody. As the definitive ark of Noah, as the definitive Torah or law, as the definitive fulfilled covenant, and as the definitive temple. So 
Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, gathers all of the strands of God's rescue operation into one, because in him, who's God's final and definitive rescue operation, the good order of creation is restored and indeed more than restored. Now, how come I'm rehearsing all this for you? Because I think it's only in light of that overview of the whole story that we get what we're reading in the book of Revelation. So look at now our reading for today. Here's the first line of it. Then I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. John, the friend of Jesus, the great visionary now. Begin with the last part of that line. The sea was no more. What is the sea there but the tohu vabohu? See, with the disappearance of the sea, we're meant to appreciate that the watery chaos has been conquered. And with the disappearance of the former heaven and former earth, we're meant to see the destruction of the old sinful way of doing things. See, now read all of the destruction in the book of Revelation, not as God having a, having a, a, a fit of anger. I mean, don't read it that way. But it's a story of God's cleansing and purifying operation. And through the dying and rising of Jesus, what's happened? A new heavens and a new earth have begun to emerge. Now, I've said this often to you, but it bears repeating. Christianity is not a Platonic system. What I mean is, we don't hold to the supreme value of escaping from the world of matter and physicality in order to get to a higher world. That's Plato's dream, maybe, and, and, and the different mystics and philosophers and so on have held to that. But see, in the Bible, God made everything and found it was all good, very good, even things that creep and crawl upon the earth. So God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible anyway, has no intention of giving up on his creation or simply destroying it. Whatever destruction is involved, and, and that's from Noah's flood until the book of Revelation, right? There's plenty of it in, in this last book of the Bible. But whatever destruction is involved is meant for cleansing and renewal. You know something interesting, Christians, in the great prayer that we pray every day, the Lord's Prayer, we don't pray for an escape from this world, do we? Rather, we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's the new heavens and the new earth that the author of Revelation is talking about. When we declare our faith in the resurrection, as we do in the creed, we're not talking about the existence of our souls in another realm, but the resurrection precisely of the body. Well, all of this is summed up in the beautiful symbol of the heavenly Jerusalem, which, mind you, is coming down from heaven to earth. God's realm and the earthly realm marry. And that's precisely what the author says. Listen, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Look, 
the divorce that happened in the Garden of Eden is overcome. That's the point here. A divorce happened between heaven and earth through sin. Now, through Christ, the bride is ready for the bridegroom. And watch, read Brand Petrie if you want all the details, but watch how that theme is signaled throughout the Gospels. Christ the divine bridegroom seeking a purified and redeemed bride, right? And finally, how wonderful that the symbol of this union and renewal and marriage is a city. The Bible is is deeply attuned to the rhythm and dynamism and energy of cities, it seems to me. Now, God knows they tend to go bad, which is why Cain is the founder of cities. So I, I mean, I get it. But at their best, what do cities do? They, they bring together all that makes human life rich and wonderful. Think of you know, sports, finance, business, entertainment, communications, politics, name it, on offer in the city. Here's the point. Now, All of this God wants to marry and bring into his manner of being. Listen now to the author. Behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God will always be with them as their God. That's the dream of the entire Bible from beginning to end. And it's happened through the dying and rising of Christ and the establishment of the church. I'll give the author of the book the last word. Behold, I make all things new. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.